Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Genesis chapter 46. We're going to start looking at uh, verses 31. We'll go all the way to Genesis 47, verse 27. While you turn there, I want to tell you about a man named Bob Parr. Um, Bob works a nine-to-five. Every day he shows up at work, kind of crouches over his little typewriter, and he works. And if he's honest with you, Uh, The work that he does for the insurance company uh, that employs him is work that's actually designed to hurt his clients, not help his clients. And as he sits there nearly every single day, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, he resents how his life has gone from super to suburbs. Of course, Bob Parr lives in the Pixar world. He belongs to uh, a family of superheroes called the Incredibles. Uh, the Incredibles are a family where, spoiler alert, everybody in the family has a superhero, a superpower. Um, this incredible family uses their superpowers to make an incredible difference in their world, saving lives and fighting back evil until Bob got sued. That's when the government decided that this was actually an incredible liability and that superheroes needed to go away. So they instituted the Superhero Relocation Act or the relocation program, which forced all superheroes to cease using their incredible powers and to live amongst us incognito. What you notice is that as this incredible family fades into the background, evil takes root, and the world becomes a little more gray. I've been working with a group of city-to-city pastors lately, um, pastors and church planters in Colombia and throughout the Americas, and we have been asking ourselves this question lately. If you and your church were to disappear tomorrow, would anyone in the community around you notice? And if they did notice, would they say, whew, I'm so glad they're gone? Or would they say, we're really going to miss them? Let me say it again. If you and your church were to disappear tomorrow, would anyone in your community notice that you were gone? And if they did, would they actually miss you? Think about that for yourself. Think about that. For your church, if we, this, UCB, disappeared tomorrow, would anyone in our community notice? Would anyone actually miss us? Would anyone say, you know, now that UCB is no longer here, there's a lot less justice in our country? Would anyone say, you know, there's a lot less joy in our city? There's a lot less humility in our international 
community. There are a lot fewer children with hearts that are full of love and generosity. There are a lot fewer hardworking employees, innovative thinkers that give their ideas to the people, the city around them. There are fewer loving neighbors now that UCB is gone. Would anybody say that? According to the Bible, you and I belong to an incredible family, the incredible family of God. And our contribution to God's world is supposed to be so incredible that if we disappeared tomorrow, our friends and our family members and our neighbors who are not Christians, our classmates, would all be sorely affected and we would be missed. In fact, evil would take root and the world around us would grow a little more gray. You know, that's not the story that you see in the passage today. Um, Joseph is there and his family is there. And in fact, if Joseph and his family weren't in Egypt at this important time in history, Egypt would have, gone, would have been gone, would have been wiped off the map. Egypt, the empire as we know about it, would have been but a tiny insignificant footnote in human history. But Joseph was there, and he belongs to this incredible family, just like you belong to this incredible family. And guess what? You have something to give to the world around you. Wisdom and blessing. So listen for that as I read. Again, I'm starting in Genesis 46, verse 31. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock and they've brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer. Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here for a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. And Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So, Jacob, so, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. 
There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe, both in Egypt and Canaan. They wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it into Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. He brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well buy us and our land in exchange for food. And, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as a seed, as seeds for the fields, and food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as law concerning the land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Lord, would you bless uh, the words of your servant's mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, would they, Lord, be pleasing in your sight, our Lord and our rock and our redeemer. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you and your church were to disappear tomorrow, would anybody in the community around us notice we were gone? Would they miss us? Is there anything about the wisdom we have as the family of God, that they would miss if we left. Now, this is a story that's really curious. Um, and the first thing that jumps out to us is that Joseph was a man of great wisdom. Um, you heard the story set up to say Joseph has this predicament, right? His brothers are shepherds, and, you know, people in Egypt hate shepherds. So Joseph has this this thing he's got to figure out. And what does he use? He uses his wisdom. Why, by the way, were shepherds detestable to Egyptians? There are a couple of options. Some of them are really interesting. But probably the most likely reason is because you know how city people think that they're so much better than country people? Um, that's probably what was going on. These were these vagabonds, these nomads that would just come in and like, mooch off of 
the city resources and, and we really don't trust them and they belong probably out in the country. So there was some built-in prejudice to shepherds, which is why Joseph masterfully coaches his brothers through their interaction with Pharaoh, right? He says, okay, guys, uh, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell Pharaoh that, um, that you're all shepherds, okay? When he asks you, you tell him that you're shepherds, but we're going to make it clear that you came with all of your flocks. All you need is grass. You need a plot of land to live on, and you need some pasture for your animals to eat, and then Joseph, we're told, uh, is, is going to tell Pharaoh that they're, that they're already in Goshen. And the reason he says that is because, frankly, the Egyptians would have been like, keep these country people, by the way, I'm a country person, keep these country people out of the big city. So, okay, out of sight, out of mind, shepherds, not a problem so, so far. And when Pharaoh asks you what your uh, occupation is, make sure you tell him that not only are you shepherds, but that that is the family business of our family. We, you know, Joseph's, have always been shepherds. He takes five of his most accomplished looking brothers, puts them in front of Pharaoh, and it all works brilliantly, right? They get this land indefinitely, it seems, and they get a government job because Pharaoh even says, hey, you guys, if you're any good, why don't you care for my own uh, for my own livestock. They get stability in a time of great instability. How did it happen? Wisdom. Great wisdom. Um, Joseph knew the cultural blind spots of the Egyptians, and he knew the cultural sweet spots of the Egyptians. He knew the ins and the outs of Egyptian prejudice. He knew that for his family, it was going to be a bad idea to have to assimilate, assimilate to the bureaucracy of Egypt and to be city people. Suddenly, he knew they would be perceived as nepotists that were trying to grab power. He knew it wasn't going to work out. So with the wisdom God had given him, he plays the diplomat, and he sets up a win-win for all parties involved. One of the reasons I really like churches like this in our church, an international church, is because you are positioned strategically to do that in God's world. You are the cultural brokers in God's world who, with the wisdom God gives you, can set up these win-win situations when, frankly, you're faced with some pretty big predicaments. That's how God has called our, incredibly, our incredible family to operate with wisdom in his world through humility and deference. So Joseph saves his family's life using great wisdom, but now he's going to save basically all of Egypt's life using that same wisdom. We're told that the, the famine wreaks havoc on the region. Verse 15 when the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. So what does Joseph do? He says, Okay, well, sell me your livestock. And here's some grain. And that lasts for a year. And then they come back to him. And they say, Now you own our, our money and our livestock and we don't have anything left except 
our land and our freedom itself. Verses 20 and 21. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. And if you were a 21st century person and you read that, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. Am I supposed to be okay with that? Like, is that an arrangement that I'm supposed to like celebrate that, that Joseph has enslaved an entire nation and has obliterated private property rights with this state takeover of literally everything? I mean, we picture somebody like Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life, the maniacal laugh as he sips his brandy and as he takes advantage of people who are in, in need so that he can own everything and everyone. Are we supposed to feel okay with Joseph when he does that? And if you have those feelings coming in this text, that's pretty normal. You live in the 21st century. But as I looked into this, I didn't really know what I was going to find. I knew there was some cultural distance. Um, but as I looked into this, I, I, I was reminded over and over again of C.S. Lewis' warning that you and I need to watch out for um, chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery is where you say new is good and bad is old. Right? So we modern people were so smart and intelligent and good, and all those ancient people, well, bless their hearts. They were just kind of dumb and old, and they, didn't, they, they just weren't as smart as us, and so we're not going to pass judgment on them. We've got to be really careful we don't do that, because actually there is some brilliance in here if we will suspend some of our 21st century-ness to see it. So that means... That means uh, laying aside Adam Smith, as great as Adam Smith was, and you know your Austrian economics and your Keynesian economics, whoever you prefer, and that whole thing, and laying aside food bank programs like you and I utilized to help feed our neighbors who were in need during the pandemic, and laying aside welfare systems and all of the controversy that surrounds welfare systems and all the way all the ways that those systems help. We have, to, we have to lay all of it aside, pretend like none of it exists, and remember, this is Egypt. These people have two choices. You can keep it all and die, or you can sell it all and live. It really was that simple. Also, uh, Derek Kidner, who's this masterful theologian, uh, says that there was this cultural value of the day, which, which really is respectable when you think about it. He said that there was great honor for you. There was great honor in paying your own way so long as you had anything left to pay, including as a last resort, yes, even your freedom. So keep it all and die or sell it and live. There was another reality that was lingering over this. This was more of a political reality, and that is private property rights, as you and I think about them, did not really exist in Egypt. And so Joseph, in essence, Kidner says, 
made in fact what already really existed in the day, which is this, everything already belonged to Pharaoh anyway. And all the people who were living on Pharaoh's land were his tenants and ultimately his servants. Here's the brilliance. What Joseph just did is he gave all these people agency in saving themselves and their family. And he gave Pharaoh an incentive to treat his people with dignity. Pharaoh, here's all of our land. In fact, here's our, here's our, our lives. We're going to give it all to you. And guess who's responsible for treating everyone with equity and making sure that every single mouth in Egypt gets fed? It's you, Pharaoh, administered, of course, by Joseph the wise. I hope that helps a little bit. The point is, is it works, and you and I are supposed to look at this, like this is the original intent of the author. You and I are supposed to look at it and say, whoa, that's amazing. This is what an old dead German theologian says. He says, the reader must resist as much as possible the extent to which Joseph's measures stand the test of modern opinion. The ancient narrator is honestly amazed and wants the reader also to be amazed at the way a solution was found to save the people from a gigantic catastrophe. And that's exactly what happens. It happens with the people of Egypt. Did you hear the way they responded to Joseph? You have saved our lives, they said. They felt that their lives had been spared from almost certain Death, And then Joseph sets up this arrangement where they get seed, and yes, they will have an avenue to get out of poverty. They pay a 20% tax. I didn't know that because I'm thinking 20% tax. Apparently, 40 and 60% were as high as the tax would go in those days. So they really did feel amazed at Joseph's wisdom to save them. All right. This is God-given, life-saving wisdom in its day. You and I are not called to take advantage of people who are in desperate situations, right? You're, just in case you're wondering, you're not really allowed as a Christian to enslave an entire nation. <laughs> um, but you and I are called to appropriate this in a culturally relevant way. Here's some of the tools we have, aside from all the academics and economics and stuff that we've learned since Joseph's day. We actually learn a lot more about the heart of God just after Joseph. When the law is given to God's people, we learn things like God likes it when property is owned by lots of different people. God doesn't like it when just a few people own the property. When God sees someone in a desperate financial situation, he doesn't want them to stay in that situation for the rest of their life and to have to sell everything, including their own freedom for it forever. He wants them to eventually be free. He, he wants people to have a second chance. God doesn't like when refugees are treated with mistrust and kind of like, who is this guy and do you really belong in my setting and the way you know, we do things here in the city or the high culture, whatever uh, it may be. God actually built into the experience of his family, the experience of a refugee to generate compassion and empathy and kindness for the outsider, for the nomad. And so the call for us in all of its complex applications 
is to go and get God's wisdom here, here, and to apply it to God's world for the sake of saving lives. If we in our church were to disappear tomorrow, would anyone in the community around us notice that we were gone? Uh, And if they did, would they miss us? Uh, Joseph is a blessing to Egypt and to Canaan, he is. But there's another blessing I actually want to highlight here that you may have missed. I missed it until this week, actually. And that's the blessing of Jacob to Pharaoh. Listen to verses 7 through 10. And then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So it's really cool. Like You get this whole formal presentation of the five brothers and there's like, you know, these and thou's and your servants and all this. And then Joseph carries in his elderly and firm father and he props him up on his staff. And there Jacob is in front of the most powerful person in the region. And Jacob raises his fist and he seizes the moment to say, You pagan people, you know what the problem with you people is. You're messing everything up in this world for religious people like me and my family. I hope you live a miserable life and everything you touch fails. Is that what Pharaoh does? No. He blesses him. He blesses Pharaoh, the guy whose descendants would eventually enslave his descendants. May God overwhelm you with his goodness and kindness and peace. May God grant you a long and fruitful life, not once, but twice. Now, I want you to think about what that would have done to your heart if you were an Israelite having been delivered from slavery in Egypt, hearing this story for the first time. Think about what it would have done to your heart if you were one of God's people generations later living in captivity in Babylon. You probably would have been thinking, Jacob, you did what? Why didn't you stand up and put that right-wing so-and-so in his place or or give that liberal left-wing so-and-so a piece of your mind? You blessed him? You blessed him twice? If you were to meet your political enemy right now, what would you say? I mean that person that makes your blood boil. Right now, could you bless them? Could you stretch your hands out over them and with all of your heart say, may God overwhelm you with his goodness and kindness and peace. May he give you a long and fruitful life. Because that's what God's people are actually called to do. You and I are called to be generous with our blessing. 
Lower the stakes a little bit and make it more realistic. If you were to move away from Bogota, from Colombia tomorrow, will the city be any better because you lived in it? Will you leave your blessing on this city, no matter how long you're here, if it's weeks, if it's months, if it's years, no matter how long you're here, will you leave your blessing on this city? That is such an important question for an international church like our church. In fact, I'm going to go to Paris in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to sit in a conference room for hours and hours and hours with a few other international people, women and men uh, who are leading churches and leading the international church movement. These are people that know what they're doing, and we're going to ask this question together. How can we start and support international churches that are a blessing to their host country and host culture? How can we do it? Because this is the word on the street, all right? I'm including you, or I'm including myself when I say this, okay? The word on the street is that international churches, like ours, are full of people who move into their international bubbles and work their international jobs and receive their international paychecks and only connect with other international people. And they kind of wag their finger at the local culture for not being enough like their passport culture. And they try and ignore local language and customs and they consume local sites and food and drink and cheap labor. And then they leave having consumed more than they invested. And that doesn't sound like an incredible family that belongs to an incredible God, like our God. Our God is too incredible for you and I to live as entitled, arrogant consumers. This is a scene that is remarkably beautiful, because if you were here last year, or you're whatever we did last year, watching it on YouTube, you remember the way Jacob was when he studied his life. Jacob was a barrel kind of guy, right? Fill up my own barrel, blessing after blessing. In fact, I am so greedy for blessing that, that, that I'm going to steal it from dad and from my brother. And like if I, if I spar with God, I'm not going to let him go until he blesses me. I got to get more. I got to get more. It's got to go in, in, in. He's scratching and clawing. And finally, Jacob is not begging for blessing to come in. Now he's a source of blessing to the nations, to the next generation, not just his family, to pagan people like the Egyptians. He's a source of blessing. That's the incredible family mission that God has given us all along, generations before Jacob, his grandfather, Abraham, right? God chose Abraham and he didn't do it because Abraham was like a good dude who had his life together. He just chose Abraham. And he said, Abraham, you're my guy. You're going to start my family. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you descendants more than you can count. And I'm going to give you the land. Why? So you can kick back and live fat and happy? No. So that, this is a purpose clause, so that you will be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. Abraham, you and your family are not barrels of blessing. You are pipelines of blessing through which my blessing flows through you to 
all of the families of the earth. That's what we're supposed to be, incredible family. That's what we're supposed to be, UCB. Flash forward, generations later, God's people in captivity in Babylon. I mean, their life has been wrecked, right? And we wonder, what are they supposed to do in Babylon? We think, well, maybe they're supposed to like form a religious coalition, political party, and like grab power and then defeat all the Babylonians with that power. And God says, no, 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 don't do that. And also don't just huddle up and ignore the big bad world around you. Don't do that either. This is what he says in Jeremiah 29. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city in which you live. When you and I seek the peace and the prosperity of our community here, whether it's Bogota, Colombia, the international community, your conjunto, whatever it is, when we seek the peace and prosperity of that, guess what happens when we disappear, when we leave? People miss us. They miss us. And they languish. There's more room for evil to take root. The world becomes grayer. And I know your heart is like my heart. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but aren't those people going to contaminate my children? And I have to be honest with you, the biggest threat of contamination to your children is not the big bad world out there. It's the heart that's beating inside their chest and inside your chest. And we think to ourselves, yeah, but it's going to cost me so much comfort. I don't want to feel uncomfortable in a culture that's not mine. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me time and energy. And the answer is yes, it will. Look at what it cost Jesus. Look at what it cost Jesus. It cost him everything. This has always been the incredible mission of God's incredible family. And we know it is this because it is not just that. It is also God's incredible mission to his incredible family to us. I, I, I don't know how you read a passage like this, but I often think of myself as Jacob or as uh, Joseph here, right? So unless you are ethnically Jewish, guess what? You're not Jacob or Joseph here. You're not. You're actually much more like the Egyptians. Uh, you are the nations, right, who receive the blessing. You are the non-ethnic people around Israel who receive God's blessing. You are the families of the earth. Yes, God blesses Jacob and Joseph and his ethnic people, absolutely. But he's been aiming at you and me too. The reason the father didn't spare the son but gave him up for us all is to come after you and me and people like us all over the world. You and I are why Jesus came. You and I are why Jesus lived and why Jesus died and why Jesus rose from the dead. And you and I are why Jesus said to his disciples as he was leaving them, ascending to heaven, all authority in earth and heaven has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of just ethnic Israel people. No, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all the families 
of the earth need to receive my blessing. He does it because he loves you and he loves me. And if he and people before us have been a pipeline of his blessing to us, then why not? Why not be a pipeline of blessing to all the people around us? How do we know he's not aiming also at them? How do we know he's not going to use us as the strategic vehicle of blessing to them too, that they might meet Jesus and experience all of his goodness and grace? If we in our church were to disappear tomorrow, would anyone in our community notice? Would anyone actually miss us? I really, really hope so. And it's not because we are so awesome and so important. We are an incredible family on an incredible mission because we have an incredible Savior, Jesus, who loves us that the world desperately needs. Let's ask for his help. Jesus, thank you for this uh, passage and thank you for this message uh, that you have come after us. Though we didn't deserve it, you have come after us and that you would even use people like us. Lord, we need your courage to not be barrel people, to not just consume, consume. We need your courage to be pipeline people that bless others around us. Would you help us to do that? Jesus, this requires wisdom that we don't have. Um, Would you please give us that wisdom? And it's not so that people would see us and respect us and uh, praise us, but it's so that they would see you as you are. Do this, we pray, through your spirit, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.